You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 12, episode 11. Tasha June is a Korean-American melancholy dreamer, wife, and mom who grew up in a multicultural and biracial home. She spent her life navigating the space between worlds, American and Korean, faith and doubt, family devotion, and fierce independence. As a Korean-American, she wandered between seemingly opposing worlds, struggling to find a voice to speak and a firm place for her feet to land. In today's episode, as we continue our exploration of art and identity, Tasha talks with me about her journey from self-rejection to self-acceptance and how writing her memoir, Tell Me the Dream Again, served as a means of integrating the multifaceted parts of her identity. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy a deeper dive into this topic with Tasha at patreon.com makersandmystics. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is the Makers and Mystics podcast, the podcast for the art-driven seekers of truth and lovers of life. Tasha, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. It's an honor to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been spending some time with your book, Tell Me the Dream Again, and I'd love to start by reading a passage from the book, if that's okay with you. Yeah, I'd love that. It was night in my dream, my mother began. Stars everywhere, I watched them, then one kept getting bigger. As it grew, it started to turn into a tiger. Then I could see the tiger's face. It opened its mouth and roared. It was so loud. Then I looked at its face, and it was you. Tiger was you. I hung on to every word, hoping against all odds that the hand I'd been dealt in dreams could actually play out. And then it goes on to say, the Harangi, is that how I say that word? Harangi, uh-huh, Harangi. Harangi, I did pretty good, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. The Harangi from my mother's dreams has lived in my thoughts, silently roaming the backdrop of my imagination, for most of my life, tucked away like a treasure. Because for most of my life, I've felt nothing like a tiger. So your mother dreamt of a tiger that she came to interpret to be you. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how this dream version of you as a tiger and then the waking version of yourself haven't always coincided in your mind. Mm. I'd love for you to tell me more about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I can remember her telling me about that um, as a young girl, and she had the dream more than once. And really, you know, wanting to hang on to it. You know, we want to hang on to things. It's something that we hope for. Or there's, you know, desire or longing mixed into that. But then as I grew up, and kind of took in, you know, the world and how I thought I fit into the world, it just never lined up. It was like just an alternate reality or something. Like, how could this person who supposedly knows me and has known me better than most other people 
call something out in me in a way, you know, that I can never see or recognize in any of the settings that I'm in. And so really what was something that she told me about that I hung on to became just this wrestling, you know, for, you know, decades that, you know, I'd either try to pretend it didn't matter and it wasn't real. Um, so I didn't have to wrestle with it or something that just was kind of back there that I was always looking for, like any evidence of, could this be true? And how does this fit? You know, as you're sharing that with me, it causes me to think that there are parts of who we are that we can't always see in ourselves. There are aspects of our own person that it requires other people to pull out of us. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's really true. And I think there's so much more to it, too. especially, you know, the way that she told me that dream and the way that I've always seen my mom is, you know, she's very artistic. She maybe wouldn't say that about herself, but the way that she talks about things, the way that she sees the world, the things that she's drawn to, you know, all of that has always been very kind of artistically minded. And so even this dream itself, it, de it definitely ties into Korean culture and way of being, but it also ties into this, you know, it's not like she said, I see you as someone who's going to be bold someday. <laughs> she had to describe mm -hmm. it, you know, <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> and obviously it was something that she said she dreamt. And so that, that are, there's a whole nother element to that. But yeah, I do think that a lot of times that we you know, almost have the responsibility to kind of call out in those we love, you know, the things that, you know, God has created in them that we witness or that we see a glimpse of. But sometimes it takes time to own it and to, um, and maybe not ever see it in full, you know, the way that God, mm -hmm. that, the way that God does. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned your Korean heritage, and I know a large part of this memoir and a large part of the writing that you've been doing lately has been about reconciling some of the different parts of who you are. You know, you've you've talked about being caught between two worlds, mm -hmm. you know, American, Korean, faith and doubt, family devotion and fierce independence. And one thing that I've been meditating on lately in this conversation on art and identity is how multifaceted we are as human beings. And, and often we can think of ourselves as an individual, as this flat two-dimensional thing, but really I think that how we show up in the world is so multifaceted, where it's, whether it's like, a husband or a mother, or, you know, I, I work for this person, or I'm an artist in this, you know, or in this context, I'm a person of faith or whatever it might be, who we are is multifaceted. And sometimes these aspects of ourselves don't always collaborate. Yeah. They don't always <laughs> coincide. And in your story, you talk about this. You talk about, you know, coming from a biracial, multicultural family experience. I'd love for you to talk about this a little more with me and kind of unpack how you've come to understand and celebrate this uniqueness of who you are and, and a bit about that journey in your life. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so good. And I agree with you. Um, yeah, it's it's so hard to, to name that I guess, diversity within us or some of those colliding pieces, you know, in the culture that a lot of us are in. Um, for me, I think as a child, I 
what my reality was, was my reality. And it was very normal until I started to go out into the world and kind of discover, you know, started going to school. Um, and in different places, we moved around a lot um, when I was younger. But until I started going out and just kind of seeing the way that labels and 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 these clearly defined lines had been put in place wherever I was. And so whether that came through in a conversation or a question, you know, like someone asking me where I was from or trying to understand um, how I fit and then me realizing, wait, I they want me to answer this way. <laughs> But I feel uh-huh. <laughs> all of these things, you know, kind of like you said, all of these layers. Um, and then I think on top of that, a lot of us are either expected to answer the question of what do you want to be when you grow up? And then when we're an adult, what do you do? And they and, and wanting it to be very simple, straightforward, black and white. So anyway, I think growing up, I fell into that, but it, it never, it never made sense. I feel like I always had the wrong answers or it felt uncomfortable or I never had an answer that satisfied most of the people that would ask me a question like that. And what I always wanted to say was describe all these beautiful layers, you know, tell them about my family of upbringing, tell them about food, but it never felt like there was space for that or anyone really wanted to go into those details. And so that kind of started this journey of kind of rejecting what felt most abnormal in the space that I was, especially when I became a teenager and and started just really dealing with identity, you know, at that like 13 Mm -hmm. and then up. It's 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 so prevalent at that time. And it's so difficult um, when you don't have a guide for those definitions um, Mm -hmm. or none of the definitions that you hear of fit. So I think that I started this journey of rejection and what really kind of turned the corner on all of that to, to reverse that into a journey of embrace really was uh, my faith and um, feeling mm-hmm. again in a different way, like I couldn't reconcile this belief in a God who loved all of me when I couldn't bring all of me to the table in so many of the spaces that I was in, or I didn't feel that I could um, safely. And so that started kind of just this wrestling again with trying to figure out who is this God? Is there more to more to God and more to faith than just the base level, the shallow, easy definitions, you know, about who I am and how that relates to faith. So yeah, it kind of started to switch. And that's when I started to think through what are these details that matter so much to me and and why would they matter for anyone else, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes, as you mentioned, people can have a predetermined answer that they just want us to echo back to them. And sometimes the journey of moving from self-rejection to self-acceptance requires confrontation. Mm -hmm. It requires pushing back against some of the prejudgments that others may make. And I'd be curious to know for you, you mentioned your faith, and I'd love to get into some of that a little bit later in the conversation as well. But also your writing. How did your writing and your creative process play into this journey of moving from self-rejection to self-acceptance? I like to say I've always been a writer because that's how I processed ever since I was little, like how I processed pain, how I processed just anything really, and was very much an internal processor, not external um, as a child mm-hmm. and and still in some ways. So journaled my whole life. But then when I got into college, there, was some, there were some moments in high school as well in different writing classes. But when I got into college, especially... I was introduced to a lot of books that kind of reflected my experience for the first time 
And then in some creative writing classes, kind of mirroring that as that was happening, as I'm reading these stories, had these different writing projects. There was also a memoir class. And when I would sit down to write my assignments, it was like a flood of all these things, like all these memories with my mom, a lot of my Koreanness that I had shoved down, that is, just, it just bubbled to the surface. And that's mm-hmm. all that wanted to come out. And so through just the guidance of some instructors and just through that experience, I think it just, whether I even knew how to articulate it or not, it just told me how important that was, that revisiting, yes, that writing out the details and kind of realizing this is all in me. It's not something I have to look for. It's here and it needs a a space to go. These stories need to be told. They want to be out. Your body doesn't want to hold them anymore, you know? So it was really evident to me then. And and, and I I would try to write about other things and nothing would work. It's like, that's all that would come out. (laughs) You know, what you're talking about reminds me a little bit of what Jungian psychology might call shadow work, or it's like there are these exiled parts of ourselves that we have come to distance ourselves from. Mm. You might not use that particular language, but the idea behind it is that as you said, you often shoved down the Koreanness of who you were. And there are often these exiled parts of our identities that if they don't get integrated into the whole person that we were created to be, they can cause a lot of damage in our relationships. It can cause a lot of personal harm. You know, I know that's been a bit of my own journey as just reconciling all the disparate parts of who I am. I'd love to know more about this, whether that is through some of the writing that you talked about or whether it's through some of your faith practices. How did you address or how did you begin to look at these exiled parts of yourself or these these parts of yourself that you had shunned away from? How did you begin that process of integration? Mm. That's really fascinating. I want to read more into that. <laughs> I don't yeah, know that much yeah. about that. I've heard people talk <laughs> about shadow work, but I didn't know what that was. Yes. So I would say I began that very clumsily. <laughs> um, there wasn't necessarily an intentional shift. I can look back and see where things started to shift, but it was very clumsy and it was through different moments and experiences. One I write about in the book with seaweed soup when I became a mom, Mioguk, just learning, or I mean, something that I'd kind of shoved away, like an actual, you know, food that felt like it would just mark me as so, so Korean, so foreign in the places that I was. Um, And so I had this whole experience where My mom had made it for me. I dumped it down the drain after she left, after having my first child. And then after that, years later, or a year later, coming across it in a bookstore and reading the significance behind it and just weeping in the middle of the bookstore. So there are all these Mm. moments where, and I very much think that God was a part of it, but where I was kind of being prodded and poked to kind of awaken to just the reality that I'm rejecting this. I'm rejecting myself like very clearly. And then a step forward that would, you know, follow that of how can I receive that in a new way? And so I didn't go home and make the soup, but I did call my mom and we, we talked about it, you know, and I told her that I dumped it down the drain. I told her that I was so (laughs) sad, you know, that I had done that and just that I wanted to learn more. Mm-hmm. about all the things that I didn't listen to her about, you know? Um, so there was that moment. And then a few years later, when we were on a plane to Korea, it was served 
on our airplane tray. <laughs> the Korean food that you get if you fly Korean air is like phenomenal. <laughs> and I remember feeling very much, it was a very spiritual moment for me, just feeling like this is a moment to kind of reclaim and mm -hmm. embrace. And I remember drinking it down and feeling like, you know, I'm in the middle of this airplane, but I'm having this moment where God is just giving me grace. And it's, it feels like a lot of mercy and also this chance to, to move in a different direction. So I share all that to say, I feel like it's been, there have just been all these little moments and they've been clumsy and there's been a lot of growth in between a lot of, you know, still navigating some of that kind of rejection, but didn't desire to, to do things differently. They haven't all felt that clear, like that moment that I had on the plane where I'm drinking the meal gook and feeling it, you know, go down my throat and feel like, gosh, this is like a renewal experience for me. But there have been a lot of things like that. And so the shifting is really, I mean, started in probably college and then has just happened on and throughout that. And anytime I've been able to show up and feel like this is my whole self, I'm not pretending, I'm not trying to pretend like things don't matter to me, or I'm not bringing a dish to <laughs> this event that I don't actually want to bring, but that I feel like will be more, more palatable for everybody else, you know, there, if that makes sense. So I guess yes. I'm talking a lot wow. about food. <laughs> it's so good. I love this idea that you're having this spiritual encounter through food. You're yeah. having this spiritual <laughs> awakening and this identity forming experience through food. And I love just the incarnation of that mm. and just the embodiment and the tangible nature of that experience. And I think, you know, that's, that's something that, for instance, right now, I'm thinking about how much the sense of smell brings us back to childhood and brings us back to certain memories. When, when I was a child, you know, my, my grandmother's house always had these English boxwoods all Ooh. around her house. Yeah. And so whenever I smell English boxwoods, it just takes me back to that experience. And one thing that we're going to be talking about in the upcoming episodes on Makers and Mystics. And one thing I'd love to get you to weigh in on as well ties right into that. And it's how memory impacts our sense of self. Mm. And, you know, your memoir, Tell Me the Dream Again, it's a collection of memories, it's a collection of stories from your past, from your childhood and, and upbringing. I'd love to know how these contribute to your own sense of identity, to your own sense of self? How does your relationship to your memory and to these collection of stories, how does that help shape your identity? And I think a follow-up question on that would be, how does your relationship to those memories change mm. over time? Yeah. Maybe even now that you've written them all down in a book form. Right, right. You know, I think when I was younger, the memories were just what they were. They were just the memories. It was like that. That's just my life. You know, now when I remember, I think back and say, this is my life. Yes. These are memories that just, you know, the reality of my childhood. But now I look back and I see them as these markers of just being intentionally created in, in such a way um, to taste. And like you're talking about to smell these certain scents, you know, and to, to kind of experience you know, the larger world around me, but also to experience God and being created um, and God's artistry um, through all of these things specifically, like that there is a purpose in all of that. And mm -hmm. it's very intentional, very loving. Um, and so it feels like now when I look back, it's this exercise in recognizing that kind of footprint throughout, but also in just receiving, receiving mm -hmm. that 
kind of in a, a way of surrender, but but more so just like receiving this gift of yes, I this is who I am, and I say yes to this. And so I think you know, there's a lot of times in life where that doesn't feel so easy. And so going back to those memories really feels like some kind of spiritual formation to me. Like it's it's yes. um, it's shaping, it's affirming, and it also reminds me to do the same for my kids, you know, as I mother them, like kind of reminding them whether they understand any of it or not, you know, this is who I am. This is who, you know, this is who those that have come before me, you know, these are the things that they've passed on Mm -hmm. and kind of like wanting to pass those on to do with Mm -hmm. as they will, (laughs) as they will wrestle themselves, you know. That's beautiful. And, you know, as we're talking about how memory plays into our sense of identity, you know, I know that going through some of these memories was probably a painful experience, something that you really had to grapple with, especially, you know, even from the book again, you talked about how your Korean normal was sometimes a barrier to belonging. And, you know, it seemed that assimilation was the only way that you could ever find acceptance. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a bit about specifically some of the more painful experiences and how your writing process and your spiritual process, how that helped you navigate through that to a place of wholeness. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I wrote about anything in a memoir class, actually, because in the other classes, it was fiction or poetry, and it could kind of be, I mean, it was still, I think, a healing experience, but it could kind of be masked a little bit. But in this memoir class, and I talk about this class a lot, there it was a small class and we all had to try our hand at memoir and this book is actually i always like to say this is where this book started because it opened with in a different way with that same dream but and with some of these same stories that i had to build upon after living you know decades after that but anyway um in that class we read a bunch of memoirs and they were very raw it was the first time i'd ever read any memoirs and i remember just how impactful those books were, um, how they would sit with me for weeks. And, and then when we read a part of our memoirs, I still honestly cannot get over how that experience was, but everyone in the class had to read a little bit and it was incredibly emotional. This was a group of people that did not know each other before this class. (laughs) A lot of us walked in, I think, you know, kind of prideful, you know, just kind of hard on the, on the outside. And so, in that experiencing watching people, you know, break down weeping, um, sharing things that they, I don't think they, a lot of us had ever said out loud. Um, it was really transformative. And I think it kind of ingrained in me. There is something really powerful about speaking or writing out some of these stories, like putting them out there and sharing them with other human beings. And it was a really safe space that had kind of been established through that professor throughout the, the weeks before we shared, but it just, I think it just showed me just how powerful vulnerability can be in a safe space like that. Yes. And and then I think through every time I have written something honestly and shared it with another human being, it's felt like just another layer of healing and kind of owning that experience so that it's not just whether, I mean, especially if it's a painful and just tormenting me in the back of my mind, but kind of owning it and speaking it, like bringing it out into the light. Yes. So it's always felt like that with some yes. of the stories in the book. A lot of them I have already either written about somewhere or talked with 
really close friends or family about. And so it's not the first time that they've been out, you know, or on the page. Yes. There were a couple that were harder that I've maybe done that a little less with. And it took me a lot longer. You know, I would write a paragraph and just <laughs> sit there. So, <laughs> be yes. like, I, I'm done for the day. <laughs> like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I've got to come back to this tomorrow. Yes. You know, it's interesting because I think one of the beautiful things about the creative process and one of the beautiful things about the writing process is that it can take these intangible memories, these things that, like you said, they can kind of float around in your mind like these ghosts of your past mm. and they just kind of inhabit the inner spaces of, of your experience. But then when you write them down, it almost allows us to make peace with them mm -hmm. in some way. It almost allows us to make peace with them. And then through that, I would imagine you know, the hope is that when other people encounter our story, it gives them the permission they need to begin to encounter their own story and to begin oh, to find yeah. healing in their own journey. Yeah. 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 I really think that. And I think too, you know, sometimes some of the memories that we, that kind of, you know, linger or haunt us when we do write them down, we're almost giving ourselves another chance, a voice again, you know, like this yes. is how, this is what happened. And this is how I felt about it. Even if you voiced it back then, which I, a lot with a lot of things did not, it's like, you're giving yourself a chance to give voice to that and kind of wow. just, you know, say no to some things again, or yes to other things. But yes. yeah. And I do think it gives people permission mm -hmm. and brings up stories that maybe are floating around in the back of their minds as well, that they can yes. pull out and face. <laughs> totally. And, you know, I, I can't help but bring this up because it's been such a part of my own journey. But, you know, even earlier when we were talking about how does your relationship to your memories change over time, especially after you've written them down, I know in my own life, you know, certain painful memories from childhood that kind of haunted me forever, but then revisiting them through a prayerful practice, mm -hmm. revisiting them through a creative process allowed me to see those things from a different perspective. It allowed me, if you will, to bring my faith into that experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I may not have recognized a divine presence, I may not have recognized God in those situations, but revisiting them through art, through the creative process allowed me to see it from a more holistic and a whole place. And then it allowed my own healing to take place. I wonder if you've had a similar encounter with your own work. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I can definitely relate to that. In fact, I was just talking with another on another podcast, but um, I was describing looking at old photos and kind of bringing God into that because into the memories that they brought up and the host was like, that's Vizio Divina. Um, and at the yes, time I didn't awesome. even know that I had been doing that wow. without a name and, uh, you know, maybe not in the exact form, you know, for years, but that, that was, that was definitely a spiritual experience. And it definitely helped looking back at those memories, inviting God into the remembering. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I want to ask you one more question from the book as we close up here. But in the epilogue of your book, you have a folktale that you have written <laughs> that is inspired by your family's stories. And it's one that you tell to your daughter. And it's called, well, you'll have to pronounce it correctly. Okay. 
It's Scylla and Gochu. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I was going to get okay. it right, you know? <laughs> I should have let you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from the American South, so I mispronounce <laughs> everything on a daily basis, you know? Talk to me about this folktale that you've constructed yourself and and because what a beautiful thing to reach into your heritage which would be the tradition but then to take it forward into the innovation and add your own perspective to it talk to me about this this yeah. folktale you made so you know when i was little i read a lot of korean folktales i had this book that my parents got me actually there were a couple i wrote about one particular one in the book it's like a korean cinderella story but then i had this other book this collection and i just clung to it as a child. It, it a lot of it didn't make sense to me because it didn't fit culturally wherever we were. But um, but I loved it, and it felt like this like little map, you know, like this is this connects me with with home, or this connects me with my Korean side. And I don't understand the language, and so I have this. I have these stories. In the process of writing this memoir, I think it like it just kind of. I was right. I was in the process of writing this, and during bath time one night we're talking and I'm trying to explain to my daughter about the book. And I'm like, let me just tell you a story. And so out comes this story or like the first part of it, obviously very connected to that original dream my mom had had. Um, but it felt like it was like the inner child of me trying to work out that experience of hanging on to those folk stories, not knowing how to own them in my biracial experience, you know, not growing up full Korean in Korea, but really feeling like those were a part of who I was. So anyway, and then trying to explain to my daughter in, you know, a way she can understand, which is stories, you know, <laughs> kind of what I was writing about. So out comes the story. And the first, the, when I first told it, it wasn't as clear, clearly laid out as it is, you know, in the epilogue. But yeah, it was just really fun. And honestly, I think that's probably the way I kind of think about a lot of things is through story, through images, through things that are a little bit fantastical. And so mm -hmm. to kind of be able to use that um, to explain to my daughter, but then also add it to the book, you know, which is a little odd to have like a folktale at the end of a memoir, but it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so, it does to me too. Yeah, I good, love it. good. <laughs> Well, Tasha, thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Makers and Mystics podcast. I absolutely love the memoir and I love the work you're doing. It's been an honor to sit with you and just listen to your story a bit. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an honor for me too. So, Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Please see the show notes of this episode for links to get Tasha's book, as well as for links to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a kind review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.